every question the the moderator asked me these guys would have like the exact same answer like oh yeah this is what you can expect and i was just like you know i looked out the room and i'm like there are people of color in the room there are women in the room and i'm like not going to be your experience and i had to be that lone voice that was like nope that's that's not how that's <laughs> nope that's not how that's going to work like yeah. you know and and it was realizing that i'm like wow there are just not enough voices like mine telling people who look like me who are going to have similar experience to me what it really is going to be like because all the people who are in these leadership positions saying what it is look like these three white guys mm-hmm. and so that got me angry and <laughs> That was part of the reason why I went on this mission to go find other women of tech in Colorado. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 17 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hailey and today I am joined by the wonderful and extremely passionate Nina Baliga. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me Naomi. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. Um, You know, we met at Saster this year in 2019. And it's basically a uh, tech conference um, that targets like B2B companies. And Nina was nominated for, for an award. So we watched the ceremony. At that point, I had no idea who she was. But the work that she's doing is so important around um, like diversity and inclusion and seeing more um, diverse individuals, but in mm-hmm. decision-making circles where, uh, you know, the ball gets rolling at that point. So... Can you please talk about uh, more in depth of your origin story and what came before you started on this entrepreneurial journey that you're on? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm coming close to 40 years old now. And honestly, if you had talked to 18-year-old Nina back in the day and said, hey, one day you're going to be a, a startup entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I would have been like, yeah, that doesn't sound like me at all. I don't think you're correct. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny where, where life can take you. When I when I graduated college, um, I was just really passionate about making a social impact. And I believe that the only way you could do that is by kind of working in the nonprofit space. And so I worked in nonprofits for about 10 years, um, doing all kinds of work. I worked on uh, environmental activism, social justice, community development, um, largely working with um, underserved communities. And, um, you know, after about 10 years of working on that, there's a couple realizations I had. One was that um, nonprofits really burn you out. And uh, I was completely burnt out after 10 years of working on that. Um, And the second thing was, like, I didn't really feel like nonprofits were really effective at impacting and making the change. There was like too many institutional problems with how nonprofits were run that I just didn't feel like we were being efficient and effective and accomplishing what we wanted to accomplish. Um, So around that time when I was kind of uh, coming up on 30 years old, I decided to pivot and um, I went into tech. And so I started building websites and web apps. Um, I did user experience design, taught myself front-end web development, and did that for about another seven, eight years. Um, And then, you know, around the time I uh, moved to Colorado, which was about two and a half years ago, um, I had developed a pretty solid freelancing career doing uh, user experience design. And... Um, I was going to all the Colorado tech meetups over here and I was noticing that I was usually the only woman of color in the room whenever I went to any of the tech meetups here. 
And it was a very isolating feeling because anytime I had kind of talked about a different way to approach any of the problems that these tech startups were trying to solve, you know, from a different perspective, they would just kind of look at me blankly and then move on. And um, I started feeling really isolated. I started feeling really angry um, that I wasn't being heard, that, you know, no one was really thinking about the fact that 75% of the population of this country aren't white men. And yet, you know, no one's really talking about these other audiences and these other people who make up a big part of, you know, the user group and the business you know, customers for um, all these potential companies. And so um, I was on a mission to go find other women of color in Colorado to uh, just meet with and connect with um, who are working in tech. And so I ended up going to this hackathon called Go Code Colorado, and I found um, a team of women there who were not surprisingly also frustrated with the lack of diversity in the tech space here. And uh, over the course of a weekend, we built an app that would help hiring managers find uh, tech talent from underrepresented communities um, from Colorado's colleges and universities. And, um, you know, we pitched it at this competition. We ended up becoming one of the 10 teams that moved on to the finals with a chance to win $25,000 to create a startup. And uh, all of a sudden, um, I was on the stage at the Denver Performing Arts Center in front of 300 people pitching an idea for a startup, you know, that three months earlier I had no idea I'd be doing. Um, you know, we didn't win that competition, but after I got off the stage that day, there were so many people that came up to me and they were like, we love what you're doing. We want to see where this goes. Um, so me and one other woman on the team, uh, Kim Schlesinger, we decided, well, we have an idea here. Um, there's clearly an interest in what we're doing, so why don't we pursue this and see if we can create a startup out of it? And that's kind of where it all began. Like it, sometimes, like the steps in life take you to a place that you never really anticipate, but at the same time, like you can't imagine it going any other way when you like look back and reflect on it. That's the honestly the power of like hindsight, right? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> did you go into so can you explain why you moved from Washington to Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've lived in a lot of different places in the country, all, all places um, where I've always been surrounded by people of all different backgrounds. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I did my undergrad in New York City. Um, I lived in the Deep South uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, and then I moved to South Beach um, where I was living um, in Miami and um, then after those years in Florida I moved up to DC and spent 10 years in the DC area um, you know around the time I moved to DC um, I was still working in politics and um, it made sense for me to move there back then um, but after about 10 years there and after I had pivoted to tech I was just kind of getting burnt out on the DC scene um, and I just wanted to be in a place where I could be you know, closer to nature, be in the mountains. I love snowboarding. I love hiking. And, you know, I visited Colorado. I fell in love with it and was like, that's where I want to be. Um, I didn't move to Colorado because I thought, like, it was all about the people. I, I moved here for the mountains. Um, but, you know, nine months into my experience in Colorado, um, I kind of realized, like, oh, you know, I really miss being around people of color because mm -hmm. there's just not as much diversity, especially in Boulder where I live. Um, 
And so it was one of those things where I, I moved away from DC because of the people. Um, and then ironically, like uh, when I got to Colorado, I started missing people. Yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up having to find a new community of uh, folks down here. And it, took, it was a lot harder to find that because there's a lot fewer of us here. Uh-huh. And so when you went to that, um, that hackathon and met these individuals for the first time, I'm assuming these women, of, yeah. these women, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what was that brainstorming session like that? Like how long was the um, hackathon and what exactly, how did you guys pinpoint this problem and come to this, you know, idea? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so it was a group of about 10 of us, seven out of 10 of us were women. And, um, you know, it was all one of those things where we each knew one person uh, on the team, and so we didn't really necessarily know each other. So I showed up there, and I actually didn't know anybody. I heard about this team forming um, through um, another meetup I had gone through, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's this team of women that are getting together at GoCode. Here's their Slack channel. Can You, you can go join it and meet them. Um, so I showed up there. We met, and it was just a three-day weekend. So Friday, when we all got there, we met each other. And the, the requirements of the competition was uh, you had to build an app over the course of a weekend that would use the data sets that Colorado was providing and that would solve some type of problem that would you know promote business in the state of Colorado because this whole hackathon was sponsored by the Secretary of State. Okay. So um, when we sat down um, we were like okay well here are the things that these are the requirements. So what can we build that meet these requirements? And like a lot of other people in the competition, everyone kind of was trying to reverse engineer a problem based on the data sets that Colorado had. And so we started by looking at all the data sets. We're like, okay, well, look, it looks like they're collecting data about, you know, um, here's what the taxes are like in these parts of the city. Here's some information about, you know, restaurant ownership here. We were just looking through all these different data sets and trying to figure out, well, what can we do with this data? But after looking through all the data, we were kind of like, well, what do we really care about? Like, instead of focusing on, like, what can we make with the data, why don't we think about what's the problem that we want to solve? And how do we go about doing that? And so we said, you know, all of us were women in tech, and we're all like, equally frustrated about the lack of diversity in tech. And so we're like, well, what if we could build something that could tackle this problem? So we landed on this idea and then we spent time trying to look into the data sets to see if there was something we could build to tackle the problem using that data, the data sets that were there. Strangely enough, um, and actually not that strangely, uh, after we decided on that, we started diving into the data, and there was really only one data set that actually tracked race and gender in the state relating to tech. Mm. <laughs> and that was um, how the, the universities and colleges were tracking like um, uh, the race and gender by major and the graduation rates. Mm. So we were able to pull that data. But otherwise, there was no like human-related tech data that the state of Colorado was collecting. So... You know, 30% of the judging criteria was supposed to be based on how you use Colorado's data sets. Since there was only one data set that we could use, we were kind of like, well, this is going to disqualify us, but who cares? We're, we're, here, we're here to build something fun, meet new people, and, you know, we're more interested in solving a problem than just reverse engineering something that doesn't make sense. So 
not surprisingly, the rest of the competition, all the other teams essentially came up with like another version of like a Yelp for businesses <laughs> because they were all using the same reverse engineering something from a data set as opposed to coming at it from a problem. And we were one of the few ones that said, actually, here's a problem we want to solve. And I think when I was on the stage at that, uh, pitching it for the first time, I, I called I called out this data. I was like, you need to be tracking more of this data. Like, we only could use one data set because you only had one data set that was tracking this information. Yeah. If you were tracking this information across the industry in other ways, we would have a much more robust ability to tackle this problem. Um, I think that probably resonated with the judges a little bit because that was when we got chosen. What we were the one of the two teams uh, teams chosen in the Denver competition to move on to the finals after, you know, we I said that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like it was it was an interesting process. I think when you come at an angle from like had, tackling a problem instead of just following the criteria that a competition is, you know arbitrarily in a way created for you, you end up coming up with better solutions, like and more meaningful solutions. Mm -hmm. And it was coming from such a personal space with, with you, with your group, right? With your team. And Absolutely. did you, in the moment, like while you were pitching, what was going through your mind? Were you thinking this is viable? This is something that we can actually take beyond the hackathon and implement. Cause at that point you were doing freelance work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, when I was pitching it, we weren't even, no, I didn't think that this was going to be a viable product that we would move forward with. It really was just like, this was a fun thing to do over the weekend. We've met some new people. We've built something that we feel great about and feel good about. But at the end of the day, we just built an app. Um, an app in and of itself doesn't solve problems. Um, you have to really think through like, what is, what's the problem that you want to solve? You have to start off with like, what's the problem you want to solve and then go dive into user research and like start talking to people and identify pain points and then figure out how do you go about solving it? The whole concept of hackathons of like you build an app and then you've like created a business over the course of the weekend. I just don't think that's how you build a business. So, you know, I wasn't thinking about turning this into a business. Like the way it happened was as a matter of fact, we weren't even planning on staying to the end of the competition. Um, there were like 14 teams pitching that night. It was after a whole weekend of like <clears throat> working on this app and we were like, well, we're not there to win it. You know, that's just fun. Like, let's just do our pitch. I think we were, you know, randomly selected at pitch number seven mm -hmm. and uh, pretty much all of us were planning on just like going home after our pitch and I've been waiting to see who they announced as the winners. Um, funnily enough though, like after we pitched and we were like seeing everyone else's pitch, we're like, huh no one's actually coming up with anything really that interesting or different. <laughs> yeah. We might have a shot at winning this. Why don't we just stick around and just see what happens? So half the team went home, half, half of us kind of stuck around, and then we were one of the two teams announced as moving on to the finals. Um, so, you know, even after we, like, pitched at the finals at the Denver Performing Arts Center, um, the app itself still wasn't, like, the core of the business like the app that we built over the weekend is not the business that we that we have today um what happened that weekend was like we found out that yes we built something that was kind of fun and cool but what we really learned was that there was an interest in, in from the tech community in colorado that people are really frustrated both from the company side and from the tech talent side that there's a lack of diversity in tech mm 
Mm -hmm. So before we even launched into a business, we said this app we built at the hackathon is not the answer. We already knew this wasn't the answer. Yeah. But we said we need to find out what is the answer, what could we build to solve this problem. So the rest of that year, me and my co-founder started talking to companies, started talking to coders, developers, engineers from underrepresented groups, and asked them, you know, what are what are your biggest pain points about you know, working in this industry. Mm -hmm. And what we were hearing from companies was that they were struggling to find and retain tech talent from underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. And what we were hearing from the tech talent was that they were struggling to find companies where they felt, where they could find out what a culture was like before they entered the door, where they could find out if they're going to feel valued and heard and have an opportunity to grow. And um, once we heard about all of that, that's when we started saying, okay, what is the product that we want to build? And at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, we landed on this idea of creating the glass door for inclusion. So we have built a platform where companies can create profiles and highlight what they're doing to create inclusive spaces. And tech talent from underrepresented groups can share their unique stories about what it's like to work at these companies. Um, this is a completely different product than what came out of the hackathon, but the hackathon was kind of the impetus to start this journey into creating a startup. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a it was a really cool experience, and it's, <clears throat> the hackathon probably um, gets the credit for you know, like putting me and my co-founder together uh, and getting me started on the journey. But the thing that we built that weekend is like, yeah. is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you listen to your customer. I think, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you met Sam at the at Saster as well, right? Yes. My partner Sam. So we are also seeing this issue and we live in a very government town up in Canada mm -hmm. called Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And... Um, like we're trying to build something to address this issue as well. And part of it was also getting out of our own head, what we thought the problem was, what the issues were mm -hmm. and going directly to the people that we're trying to serve yeah. and listen to what their, their actual issues are. Right. Right. And try to solve for that instead of what we think their problem is. Right. Um, and so what were the initial, um, you said you were, you know, talking directly to the users or, you know, who you were building the platform for. Mm -hmm. um, how did you go about doing so, um, doing that in a way that wasn't guiding them to what you wanted to hear necessarily? Yeah. So, I mean, my background is in user experience, design and research. So yeah. I, I already had experience on like, how do you go about kind of identifying pain points and problems? Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing we did was we, we're very specific about, well, who is our audience? Who are our users? Who are we trying to build this for? And so we were very deliberate about thinking that through first before we even started going out and trying to set up conversations and talking to people. So, you know, one, we said we, we want to specifically focus on, uh, you know, the, the tech departments, engineering departments at these companies. So we started off by targeting like the senior engineers, the CTOs, HR directors who were in charge of hiring for these departments yeah. at, at specific companies. We talked to companies that are really big and small because, again, we wanted to first try to figure out what size companies we wanted to target. Mm -hmm. And then we also thought deeply about how do we define diversity. And so we wanted to go beyond race and gender. And so when we were reaching out to coders, engineers from those underrepresented groups, we were thinking about the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. We were thinking about veterans. We were thinking about... Um, 
um, you know, obviously race and gender, but, you know, we thought about weight and appearance diversity. Uh, ageism is a very big thing in tech, so we wanted to address age diversity. So we thought about all these different ways. Um, and, you know, the thing that hit most personally to home and that I feel like is the kind of the thing that isn't really talked about in the diversity conversation is people with visible and invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we reached out to coders from all these different groups and started talking to them to find out exactly, well, what is, what is their unique problem? You know, what I, what I used to say was like, okay, you want to solve the diversity in tech problem, where do you start? You can start by teaching babies how to code to making sure that every single board of directors of every single company in the world is like completely representative of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> like, where on that spectrum do you want to try and solve the problem? So it's like right. this understanding of like, we're, we're only going to be able to like carve out a small slice and try and tackle it in this one way. We have to be really targeted and think deeply about how do we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we were trying to glean out is like, yes, there's going to be a million solutions. There's a lot of people working on this problem, all from a lot of different angles. And we're going to have to work together, like coordinate with each other to make sure that like that spectrum is being hit and that, you know, we're not just in little silos along that spectrum, but we're working together across that spectrum. Right. But what's the thing that's like not being hit by someone that we can tap into and that was part of our analysis as well was like figuring out what what are the things that are not being done already that we can help with and make Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. okay um i'd love to move into um about how you grappled with like self-awareness um i think you know at the for the past few months i've really been like reading trying to read a lot about identity and um i think the problem that you're trying to solve, um, I think it's also important to, like from a personal experience, talking about what, what it was like growing up as a woman of color where you were mm-hmm. and how that, you know, maybe shaped your, your passion for, um, you know, a number of years from now to starting this, what you're working on now. So what was wow. it like growing up as a woman of color? How did you, is that something that you even realized or even thought about when you were, <clears throat> you know, a kid? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, identity and how, my my sense of identity has definitely changed over the years. Um, And I think that's normal for a lot of people. Like, I think um, as you grow older, as you have different experiences over the course of your life, your sense of how do you identify, you know, define yourself within yourself and also how you define yourself within the context of all the circumstances and people you're surrounded with very much plays together, right, in terms of what, like, what does identity mean? Um, Growing up, you know, I, being the child of immigrants was, like, definitely, like, a big part of my identity. Like, my grandparents lived with me, like, um, when I was growing up and played a big part of raising me, which is very typical in a lot of Indian households. Mm -hmm. Um, Indian households tend to be multi-generational. And um, that was a big part of my identity. But at the same time, I grew up in like a very like white suburban neighborhood in New Jersey. While there was like a, some diversity, I think I, because I was surrounded by like kind of white middle class people and I thought of myself as white and middle class <laughs> too. And it wasn't until like I went to New York City for my undergrad that I was like, finally exposed to people of like a lot more different socioeconomic classes and backgrounds. And like, you know, I, I got to work with people like I, I, I was, uh, you know, almost always working jobs while I was going through college 
And so like working jobs in New York means that, you know, I got exposed to a lot more people than I would have just in my little kind of suburban um, safe zone when I, where I grew up. And, um, you know, that, that, that defined me in a new way. Cause I was like, wow, like I actually relate to people from these other places more so than I can relate to some of these things that I actually grew up in. Mm-hmm. And then when I was living in New York, nine 11 happened. And I was, uh, I had just started a job that was like a couple blocks from where the world trade center was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, you know, talk about an identity change. Like I never felt so brown in my life after mm-hmm. those towers went down because all of a sudden you walk up and down the streets of New York city as a brown person, you're very aware of how brown you are. And I had never felt that before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from 2001 onwards, you know, based on the amount of discrimination seeing like my, my brothers, my cousins, my family, just the way, especially the, the brown men that are my friends and family were getting treated yeah. in security and airports and everything was like, it was a complete shift in my entire perspective of the world. Mm-hmm. That definitely had an impact on my identity. And I think that's probably part of like what <clears throat> led to my activism in terms of like I, using my, understanding my identity as a woman of color. Yeah understanding the importance of allyship with other communities of color and other marginalized groups because oppression is very much a systemic thing. And, um, you know, one of the, the best ways to continue systems of oppression is to divide and conquer. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing. Um, and so while there's a lot of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, people in power really do want to keep power by making sure that we, they drive uh, wedges in between our communities. And when I saw that happening firsthand and I saw the intersectionality of our needs, um, how similar our experiences were like, you know, granted, like um, I, I started developing like a much deeper sense of empathy for mm-hmm. other people's experiences. Yeah. And that's when I was like, we need to be working together towards this. And like, these aren't just issues in little bubbles here and there, but they're very much intertwined. So um, that played a huge part in my identity, like from like kind of 2001 onwards. And like the more I started working in community development work, working in activism, working in politics, all of that stuff, like really kind of shaped my identity today, which is to really understand that it's not just about you know, me as a South Asian woman, but it's like me as a woman of color and me as an advocate for other women of color, no matter what their circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And our personal experiences, like you have experienced a nonprofit space, you went into tech. So you've seen, I think, a breadth. And also, because you were um, there for a number of years, I've also seen a depth of um, different types of experiences. And I think having gone through that you're able to maybe see the interconnectedness between these areas that maybe others aren't because you're just you were exposed to more um so what like personal professional experiences do you think you draw on in your work now um from the most yeah you know i think the biggest thing that i draw on is just like the level of like human interactions i've had with people of all different experiences and then like understanding that um, the, 
your way of seeing things isn't necessarily just the right way that there's mm-hmm. like so many more ways to approach a problem yeah. than you could otherwise think about. And that if you, once you've learned how to listen to people, once you've learned how to like truly listen, like step back and stop talking, yeah. <laughs> just listen. Um, I think that's probably like the skill that really, that I draw upon the most because every job I've had, the more you listen, the better you're actually at your job. If you can mm-hmm. listen and digest and figure out how to use that information in a way that's going to be really strategic and meaningful. Um, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in the work smart, not work hard. And um, the way you work smart is by listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's something that a lot is like a lot of people don't think about, especially in the startup space and in the nonprofit space where it's just like, work hard, work hard, work hard. And it's like, well, just, pushing out product for the sake of product doesn't do anything. But if you're listening to people to make sure you're building stuff that's actually valuable, then you're going to be able to make a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. Does that also, Nina, does that also tie into how you're able to like strategize the business case for your product now? Like there, we're trying to reach like businesses are trying to reach. um, How do I even phrase this? Because when you were approaching companies, let's say, and selling, um, you know, the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, how did you get them to care about something that doesn't necessarily affect them directly, but does indirectly? Yeah. So that's a really good question because like when we were thinking early on about like, well, who's our target audience? Like who, who's, who are the companies that we want to target and get on board onto our platform? And, you know, we kind of put companies into three categories. There, there's enough data and research out there that shows that companies that are more diverse outperform those that aren't. Um, the data is already out there. It's been out there for several years now. Um, the question is, is like, you know, do the companies, like which companies actually believe that and are doing stuff about it and which aren't? Mm-hmm. So we kind of broke up companies into like three different categories. There are the ones who get it, understand it, and are invested in it and are trying to make it happen. That's like group one, and that's who we're really targeting in the beginning of our journey as, as diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's kind of group two, which is like the companies that are like, oh yeah, diversity inclusion is important, but we don't know how to do it, or we don't have the money, or the, the but dot 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 companies. And those are kind of like the, the five, those are the companies that we plan on reaching in five years from now. Like, okay. we're not gonna be able to convince them yet. Yeah. that this is what they need to do, but they're, they're open to it. They just need to be educated and learn that this is a worthwhile investment. There's a clear return on your investment by putting your money towards this. And you will see that played out. It's just not, these things don't happen over the course right. of a year. It yeah. doesn't happen over the course of a year even. Yeah. This is like a five-year investment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard sell to make to some of these companies. <clears throat> um, and then there's like the, the companies that we plan on talking to in 10 years and actually those are the companies that are kind of like, well, we're not going to have to even like make the business case because in 10 years you're going to be forced to come to us because <laughs> like, the entire industry has outperformed you. And because you didn't invest in diversity today, 10 years from now, you are just going to be so far behind. Who knows? They may not even be there. They may not even be there. So it's kind of like if you still exist 10 years from now, then like you can come to us and you know, we can help you out. But, uh, you know, my, my thinking is like I'm not going to even spend my time with you right now until you understand not only 
that there's a value for diversity and inclusion, but that you need to put your money there too. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're completely focused on the company, on identifying and working with companies that are in our year one target, which is companies who already are saying we value diversity and inclusion. We already know what the value is. Now we want to put our money where our mouth is and we want to make this happen. And so there are enough companies out there that think like that, mm -hmm. that we, we can focus our energies specifically on those. And how that sounds extremely powerful and knowing who like which companies who you're exactly you're talking to and where they are on that on that scale because if you can put them in that category those three categories that you just identified then you know where to spend your time right yeah absolutely have an impact yeah and like that's that was part of the kind of startup journey right is like how do we how do we uh, segment our customer base? Yeah. And how do we segment it in a way that we can make sure we're making the most use out of limited resources that we have? Um, mm -hmm. Resources basically being time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we were thinking about all the different ways we could segment companies and we're like, oh, maybe it should be large and small or medium size or do we talk about you know, segmented by the number of engineers that they have on staff, or do we segment it based on like what industry they're in? Like, are they specifically working in tech or is it okay for us to talk to healthcare that has a whole lot of engineers? Mm -hmm. you know? um, so as we were thinking about that and starting to have all these conversations, it was just through that journey of talking to a lot of companies that we realized like our best use of time is to just focus on the companies that like already get it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be able to make a sale to a company who doesn't understand the value of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So, and it, and if that sale happens, it's definitely not going to happen in the next six months or one year. So as a bootstrap startup, you have to be really thoughtful and efficient about where you use your time. So you want to go for the lowest hanging fruit and like the lowest hanging fruit at this point in time are the companies that already get it and like have the money that they want to put towards this. Mm -hmm. And are, you know, saying it's a priority and, or taking yeah. the necessary steps to do that. So, exactly. you know, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, Nina, and I think you already addressed it, like, how are you different? Um, and, you know, I think a really important skill um, that you have is just being conscious and, like, listening, being present, listening to people, and, um, you know, your experience in the nonprofit space and, um, you know, user experience that definitely helped you fine tune that a lot. But I think it's also something that you may have been born with, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to ask you that, but I think the better question would be like, how have you leveraged your, your differences and what makes you unique? How have you leveraged that? How have you tapped into that to, um, you know, see the success and that, you know, that you've been experiencing? I think for me, you know, it's always been about my journey. My driving force has always been to try and figure out what makes me happy. Yeah. And I think when I focus on what makes me happy, I think that's always helped me figure out like who's the person I want to be. And then also what's the type of things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that is if I, if I can just focus on that, because you know, I have depression, I have anxiety. I was diagnosed with depression when I was a teenager. And so, you know, finding a place where I can be kind of like emotionally stable, mentally stable has always been a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always been that journey to find, you know, it sounds lame, like a journey to find happiness, but it, it kind of is. And um, so I've always lived in like, well, how can I, how do I go about 
getting there. It's not until I hit my 30s that I'm like, there's no end point. It's, it's always a journey. You're going to get to happiness. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's like you can do things that can make you feel good. And so in the process of just focusing on what does it, what do I do that makes me feel good, mm-hmm. I think I've kind of landed in this place where the com- you start finding the themes, yeah. right? Like, you, you know, my first jobs and we're not nonprofit because I'm like, I want to do stuff where I feel like I'm making an impact. Then you like, you work in your first jobs and you're like, oh, well, jobs aren't just about making an impact. It's also about your day-to-day experience. Like, yeah. what makes you happy on a day-to-day? You know, do, do I just enjoy sitting in front of a computer all day? Like, or do I want to be out talking to people? Or do I want to be doing both? And, um, you know, do I want to be advocating? Or do I want to be doing, you know, more communications work? Do I want to be doing coding? Or do I want to be doing designing? Like, you know, there's so many things you can do in your day and in and, and, and a job. So it's like you start finding what are the things that bring you the most enjoyment. And I think I've always just looked for that thread with every job I've had. And I think as long as I'm focused on that, I always end up doing stuff that makes me feel like I'm being very impactful um, because it's something that, that I can be passionate about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can feel a sense of like value in myself by, by, by focusing on that too. Mm-hmm. And what was going on in your mind? Like what was your decision-making process when you were moving from um, one industry to another or one job to another? Um, like if you were interviewing at a role, I can imagine that interview, you were the one interviewing the employer, <laughs> not the other way around. Um, but in those conversations, like um, following what feels good and what you know is right in your gut. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what were some of the, um, the, the things that you were non-negotiable for you when entering a new workplace or industry or job? that's always changed, you know, like, I think that's, that's what brought the journey. That's what the journey is about, right? It's about constantly finding new things. And so, Mm. you know, one of the things that really bothered me about working in the nonprofit world was like, you didn't feel valued. You never felt valued working in nonprofits because the mentality of nonprofits that I worked for was like, well, you're here for the cause. Like you're supposed to give up everything. You should give up, you know, getting paid well so you can like, pay your bills because you're here for the cause. You should not care about your personal health because you're here for the cause. Like that was like drilled into your soul working at, you know, these places. And, um, you know, it was because of that, that I was like, wow, this is really unhealthy. Okay. Now I know what I don't want in a job. (laughs) I do not want a job where people think that the job is more important than your life. Mm, Yeah. I don't want a job where they think it's more important than your health. And what I saw was like, well, Hey, look, the for-profit world seems to have like a little bit more of an understanding around that. So let me pursue that. Then I started working in the for-profit space and I was like, okay, you can, you know, and I was at one point I was like doing uh, digital marketing for a pharmaceutical company. And I was like, okay, I'm not really feeling a lot of value in my work. <laughs> like this isn't, you know, selling uh asthma drugs isn't like getting me really excited. Um, but, um, you know, I do feel like I love working with this team of people. Yeah. This people I'm surrounded with are just smart, <clears throat> brilliant, intelligent people. And I feel invested in them. And I love this technology that we're working on. I love that we're looking at new ways to communicate with customers. And I love the fact that we're actually thinking deeply about who we're talking to. So then I kind of pulled that out and I was like, okay, so now I want a place where 
companies value who you are, uh, you know, care about the people on the team, also care about like you being able to take care of your own self and your own health. And so it was just like kind of one thing after another with every job, you would learn a little bit more about what you're looking for. Right. And so it all came to this place where it's like, okay, now that I've worked at all these places over the last 20 years, now that I'm going to build my own company, I have this like complete like vision in mind about exactly what my company will look like. I'm like, no one, like everyone will feel empowered to have a voice. Mm. I am not going to create like a hierarchy. Like I want to have a very flat organization because like that's the kind of place that I would want to work in. I want to feel a place where at no point do you ever sacrifice your health for the company. So like mm. every person I've brought on board to the team, I've said your health always comes first. Yeah. And like, those are the types, like the types of things that I, I no one ever told me at jobs that I've worked for. I'm like, that's the company I want to build. <laughs> and that's like what I'm going to focus on when I talk to other people about what we're doing. That's incredibly inspiring. And <clears throat> it's funny. Um, I am just like starting on my career. So I like finished school two years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first started, I had, um, kind of like the atmosphere that you were describing, the people were really, really great. I saw significance in my work. Um, there was opportunity to grow. Um, I love the people. And then I moved to a different area and it was like the complete opposite. Same organization, but complete opposite. And I was yeah. like, huh, I didn't realize culture and the people that you were surrounded with actually had this much of an impact and how fulfilled I felt like at work. Yeah. And then when I left, you know, and went home, yeah. And, um, I didn't like for maybe about two months, I had no idea what I wanted to do in the, in the, from the sense that like, I didn't know if I wanted to leave the organization or I just maybe I got, I lucked out with the wrong team. Yeah. And so, um, but knowing, having that experience, you know, no, I think you can learn from good and bad experiences, mm-hmm. but having that negative experience, I think early on definitely opened my eyes to, being a, you know, a little slightly better at identifying if this, if I could fit here or if right. it's an environment that actually cares about people and, you know, your ability to thrive. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That you're, you're building a, a place that encourages people to take care of themselves. And yeah. I think that's how they're going to come to be the best selves at work and actually, you know, be Absolutely. of service to, you know, the people that you're your customers. Yeah, like I think you definitely build the best products when you have people who are really happy working for you, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's again, it's about working smart, not working hard. Mm-hmm. And so if people are happy and they feel like they're heard and they feel like they can be innovative and they can contribute, you're just going to have a much better business than one where you're just like, no, everyone works 18 hours a day and that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> And there's a lot of, there's a lot of both. I mean, there's a lot of startups with that attitude and there's a lot of nonprofits with that attitude. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what would be your advice for, um, like to go back to the entrepreneurial subject, but like what would be your advice for young people who are struggling to simply start doing the work that they want to do? Um, I think, you know, um, Mel Robbins says, like, motivation is complete bullshit because it's never there when you need it. Like, yeah. you go, you know, you sleep the night, um, you know, before you go to bed, you're like, okay, tomorrow's the day. She says this in a lot of her talks, but, like, tomorrow's the day that I'm going to wake up and do A, B, C, D. And you're just, <laughs> like, you feel empowered and you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning. You're like, yeah, I don't know who that person was, but it wasn't me. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, like um, people, I think, gosh. hype themselves up with 
motivation and inspirational talk and don't actually get to doing. Yeah. What would you say to those people who are stuck or feel like, you know, they have this fantastic idea that they want to be working on, but may feel like, oh, what are other people going to think of me or, you know, judgment from others. But what would you say to them? Oh, man. Um, You know what? I I don't have good advice for, because I feel like everyone motivates differently, right? Like, you have to find whatever it is that sparks you that, that, that makes you take action. To, to talk about what made me take action, because um, there was a, there was like, there was a moment, like the way I kind of told my story today, it sounds like everything was just kind of fluid, everything just kind of hit each other, but like, the fact is, it, it was more of a roller coaster, right? Oh, for sure. There were yeah. days where it was just like, I can't get out of bed, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know like where I'm going. Um, and then there are days where you're just like, all right, I know exactly what I need to do. I'm mm-hmm. just going like, to don't do it. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, is like, you know, when you have, you know, months and months of the days where you're like, I can't get out of bed. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I can just talk about what happened to me. And yeah. for me, it was, uh, there were these like key moments of anger. Anger was the thing that drove me to motivate, honestly. Interesting. Um, and so there were a couple, there was like a, two key moments that I'll talk about that drove me to motivate to creating this startup. Mm-hmm. One moment was I was invited as a UX designer to speak on a panel for like one of these coding boot camps where they were going to talk about future careers to all these like, you know, folks at the boot camps who were either thinking about going to the boot camp or about to graduate from this boot camp and enter the tech sector. And so I was invited to speak on this panel and, um, you know, they invited me like three months earlier, but they never followed up with me. And, uh, you know, I emailed them the day of and I was like, hey, is this panel still happening? It's on my calendar, but no one ever followed up with me. And they're like, uh, no response. And then like, I was like, okay, well, I'm assuming it's not happening because it's like one hour before the panel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and God. they're like, no, no, it's still happening. Can you come? And I'm like, okay. So I show up there and it's like me and three middle-aged white dudes on this panel to talk about the future of tech and what tech tech careers could look like. Hmm. And every question the the moderator asked me, these guys would have like the exact same answer, like, oh yeah, this is what you can expect. And I was just like, you know, I looked out the room and I'm like, there are people of color in the room, there are women in the room, and I'm like, it's not gonna be your experience. And I had to be that lone voice that was like, nope, that's that's not how that's <laughs> nope, that's not how that's gonna work. Like, yeah. you know, and and it was realizing that I'm like, wow, there are just not enough voices like mine telling people who look like me, who are going to have similar experience to me, what it really is going to be like, because all the people who are in these leadership positions saying what it is, look like these three white guys. Mm-hmm. And so that got me angry. And that was part of the reason why I went on this mission to go find other women of tech in Colorado. Like that's what led me to go to that hackathon. Mm-hmm. I was really angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, that's like one example of like anger turning into motivation, which turned into action, which led to all of this other stuff. Right. You know, a similar thing that also happened was I went to another tech panel where it was like two white guys on stage talking about the value of data and how you can use data to make good business decisions and, and all that stuff. And so they were talking about the data they're collecting and where they get their data. And I'm like, okay, so basically you're only getting data from your current users. All of your users are clearly just like, white guys probably within the 18 to 35 age bracket. Yeah. So you're missing out on like, I don't know, at least everyone. 
population, if not 90% of the population yeah. of potential customers. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I call that out. This room had like a hundred people in it. Boulder. So I think I was the only person of color in the entire room. And, uh, I called it out and they just kind of looked at me blankly and they were like, well, there just isn't any other data. Mm-hmm. And you know, I kind of thought, all right, well, I'm not going to get into a fight with you two guys on stage. Um, but I kind of thought at least one person would come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, you brought up a good point. Like, no one did. That made me angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that made me take action again. So I think, you know, for, for folks who are kind of like, how do I motivate um, to take action? I think you need to find out, like, what is it that's going to motivate you, right? Yeah. And I don't necessarily say, like, go put yourself in situations where you're going to get angry so you can do something. <laughs> that, might, that might be the thing that works for you. It definitely worked for me. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> But yeah. sometimes you have to open yourself up to some experiences that you might not be uh, aware of that might actually make you do this stuff. Yeah, or even recognize when you – because, like, that can happen in our day-to-day. I don't think mm-hmm. we need to search for things that, you know, necessarily rile us up. But That's true. Um, but be present. Like, recognize, huh, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? Right. Like, talk yourself through that. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Um, Is there ever a sense of, like, when you are advocating on behalf of um, underrepresented groups, is there ever part of you that's like, no, Nina, don't don't say this? (laughs) And how do you how do you overcome that if you know that voice is in your head? Um, I have learned to be comfortable with my lack of filter. (laughs) Um, I think I've. I filtered a lot of myself growing up and being in my twenties and thirties, I was like, I don't want to alienate people ever. And mm-hmm. I think as I've grown older and I've gotten a better sense of my own self identity, yeah. the need for a filter has decreased because I embrace my identity more. Mm-hmm. I embrace mm-hmm. who I am. I embrace my thoughts. I embrace my beliefs more so than I ever did because I don't, I don't feel like questioning it all those years really benefited me mm-hmm. where it was worth it. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm pretty conscious about not filtering myself and just being my authentic self and being true to myself. That's such a superpower. <laughs> yeah, I try. It's a journey. It's not, it's not like I figured it out. <laughs> no, but you, you've, I think, okay. Even with this podcast, I'm like, I don't want it to be, um, I don't want to talk to people about, how to find your why because the path is going to be different for everyone yeah that's not the goal but I do want to interview people who have developed a sense of self who have developed their voice just by using it more I think you know yeah um I think that's how you kind of are guided towards finding who you are and like creating who you are and all this stuff so it does take practice for sure and that roller coaster that you described earlier um, I think looking back, everything seemed to have lined up the way it was supposed to, but in the moment, it doesn't necessarily feel like that all the time, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. You look back and it, you see the chain of events, but yeah. no, it, it's it's definitely like there's it's a, there's pain, there's pain in that journey, yeah. Yeah. and uh, you you have to be okay be okay with that, you know, mm-hmm. and understand that you know some of this pain is going to lead some of this pain is just going to lead to bad stuff, and some of this pain is going to lead to good stuff, and like mm-hmm. you know. To say that you always grow from bad experiences, I don't feel like it's a really authentic way to look at bad experiences. Some bad experiences mm-hmm. are just really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there are opportunities in some of these bad experiences to grow from it. And so mm -hmm. it's a question of like, you know, do you get up and continue or do you just let it slide or do you let it take you down? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I could talk to you forever, Nina. Yeah, <laughs> so fascinating. And um, especially like around the self-awareness piece, I think um, why I was so drawn to that subject and so drawn to you is because upon first meeting you, that was very clear. Like, I know who I am. Um, I know what I want. And that definitely comes from just doing shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just like it having is. like it's, very you just have to do a lot of shit. I mm -hmm. think that's like the moral of the story. Just keep on doing shit, and then you'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> keep on doing shit, starting. Um, okay. And earlier, I asked about like what would be your advice in terms of the motivation stuff and like starting doing work. Where should people start when it comes to um, learning more about themselves? I think it just it always comes down to putting yourself out there and trying new things. Um, and like not being afraid to fail and just keep on trying and keep on learning. Um, as long as you're like in that mindset of you're, you're just on a learning journey yeah. and whatever it is, like learning to be more social, learning how to code, learning how to knit, learning how, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, just keep on pushing yourself out there to learn and you'll end up opening doors that you just never would have really thought about before. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. And the last two questions um, that I ask all my guests on The Power of Why is, you know, the first one is, what is a resource, like a book, a podcast, a person um, early in your journey that changed your perspective um, and led you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking about that because it's like, I feel like I've read so many different books that had like different influences at different points of time. But I, I was trying to think about, okay, well, really early on, what had a big impact on me? And I, I thought about the fact that I used to carry, like, for four, like three or four years, I used to carry a copy of the Lorax, Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, in my mm -hmm. backpack with me all the time. <laughs> Always yes. had with me. Because, I mean, this was back when I was, like, a like a real, like, I'm, I'm still an environmentalist, but, like, that was, like, a really driving force behind me and my passion was, you know, um, the environment and so here was this guy that's like you know I'm the Lorax I speak for the trees this is way before the movie came out which I never watched by the way <laughs> the movie was an abomination just by looking at the preview but um, <laughs> um, but yeah like this idea of this this being advocating for the folks for others who don't have a voice mm. and don't have anyone to advocate for them um, you know, from the environmental perspective, it was really obvious because it was like, no, they literally didn't have a voice. The trees literally don't have a voice. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, now that I'm actually much more into advocating for other humans who do have voices, there's still something to be said about like how that, um, I think it resonated with me because I just want to be the person that raises awareness and wants to advocate for people who don't have advocates for them. Um, and the way it's manifested now is that I want to give them platforms to talk, uh, more so than me speaking for them. Um, mm -hmm. But that book really resonated with me. And so I think that's uh, a good place to start, honestly, if you're thinking about, uh, you know, what is your journey? Like maybe look into some of your childhood books <laughs> and right. see like, what was, what was that thing that really resonated with like, you know, I think at that point I was a teenager, but like <laughs> mm -hmm. for whatever reason, like teenage Nina was just like, this book's great. 
great. <laughs> she knew exactly what she was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you touched, I, I feel like you touched on your why answering that question. Um, yeah. But if you, like, what's your why? Why do you strongly believe that you're meant to do during your time here, Nina? You know, I think my why basically comes down to just making as much of an impact on people's lives as possible mm -hmm. for the better. Um, I want to be here to be part of systemic changes that improve the lives of people who are marginalized and oppressed and mm -hmm. don't have a voice. And um, <clears throat> that is going to always be the why that drives me. Um, for everything I do and how it manifests is always going to be growing and changing. But I think that's always been the why behind a lot of the stuff. A lot of the stuff you've been working on. Ah, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for, you know, being open to share your story. Um, everything about your story I think is um, incredibly inspiring for people. And um, I just want to acknowledge you for, doing the work that um that was always in you i think you know advocacy and and speaking as you mentioned speaking for um or providing a platform for underrepresented groups to share their truth and yeah. you know as hard as that can be sometimes um i think this is what drives change this is what drives change to happen yeah. is is speaking about what is happening <laughs> right. and, not, and not filtering as you mentioned before not filtering your truth so right right absolutely thank you well thank you for having me this was a lot of fun i'm really glad we got a chance to chat absolutely and i know a lot of people are going to learn from your episode so stay tuned thank you everyone for uh, listening to episode 17 of the power of why podcast with nina baliga